time, tell me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. What we are doing today is part of democracy. Um, we are exercising our constitutional rights. This is free speech. This is freedom of assembly. This is freedom petition our government for our concerns. What we are doing is specifically articulated in the Bill of Rights. We are not paid protesters. We are not the liberal or the fringe of any political movement. We are scientists. We are clinicians. We are concerned citizens. Um, in a moment, you're going to hear from ATS leaders on why we're rallying today, what we're rallying for. Um, well, yes, that's you guys over there. Um, and why we believe uh, that science matters. But uh, allow me to take a, day, a moment to comment about today's rally. In some ways, a rally is a really silly thing. It's a bunch of people who all get together and say, yeah, I agree, I agree. But it's also a physical demonstration of our concerns. It's a physical demonstration of our aspirations. Today, we're not rallying in opposition to something. We're this is an aspirational rally. We are rallying to aspire to what we want the world to be, to how we as clinicians and physicians and scientists and respiratory therapists and nurses, what we are doing to make the world a better place. We don't rally today because we want to. We rally today because we have to. There are political forces in our world today that we find deeply troubling. Um, what was once considered extreme now seems to become normalized. We rally because truth and facts and science and honest political discord seems to have lost currency in both Congress and our culture. So for today, let's put aside our professional reserve. Let's make some noise. Um, so when if you're asked, tell me what democracy looks like. When you're prompting with, we hold our government, you respond with, accountable. Let's try that again. We hold our government, accountable. When you're asked, what cures disease, you answer, science. All right. So together, perhaps we can make a noise, enough noise, to remind elected leader that facts matter, that science matters, that scientists, physicians, and the patients we treat are important in our society and our world. So I would like to introduce uh, President-elect Dr. Polly Parsons to come to the podium to answer why we rally. Thank you. So I have two comments before I read what Gary asked me to officially read. So the two comments are one, my white coat is indeed on my desk at work. And the second is my kids are like, isn't that kind of dad's thing a rally? Like, what are you doing? So. It's a good thing Gary got you psyched so you know that when I say something, you're supposed to shout back. So let's go. So first of all, thank you for participating. This is the first ATS rally ever um, called Lab Coats for Lungs. Thank you, Gary, for organizing it. His enthusiasm for this has really been amazing. Um, hey, Gary. Um, it's... It's really great to see all of you here. I'm um, most impressed that you made it and that it isn't raining, so outstanding. It turns out that since its inception in 1905, the American Thoracic Society has consistently advocated for policies to support lung health, to support science, and support the patients we serve. While we've been around for more than 100 years, to our knowledge, this is actually the first time we've ever had a rally anywhere, let alone on Capitol Hill. And I hope this is the first of many, because I think there are a lot of different opportunities 
opportunities for us to really speak out. Some of you may be wondering what brings us here today. We rally today because we share a growing anxiety that science in general and our field in particular is being dismissed in the halls of power. We rally because we are watching public debates on a wide range of vital topics being led by politicians who often proudly proclaim their disdain for scientific fact. This includes critical issues such as climate change, health care, and research funding. We rally because the highest elected officials in the land think that scientific weight of evidence on climate, on vaccines, on air pollution, on research funding can be blithely dismissed as mere inconvenience. We rally because we worry. We rally because we refuse to be powerless. We rally because we care. We rally to hold our elected leaders and ourselves accountable. For too long, we in the science and medical community have failed to hold our leaders and ourselves accountable. We proudly announce the development of breakthrough drugs and medical devices, but we remained quiet when those breakthrough products were priced beyond the means of most Americans. For too long, we let politicians lead voters astray with the false choice between protecting our environment or growing the economy. In fact, a strong economy and a healthy environment are symbiotic. We expect the public to fund our research endeavors, but we fail to explain to the larger public why good science is an essential public good. It's time for change, and to bring in change, we must change. Positive change starts with accountability. So join me today in saying we, held our, we hold ourselves accountable. So we hold ourselves accountable. Right. To explain why our profession matters, I hold myself accountable. All right. To protect the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the land we till, we hold Congress and the EPA accountable. To protect our nation from the threat of disease, we hold Congress and the CDC accountable. To support science that improves all our lives, we hold Congress and NIH accountable. To protect our nation's youth from nicotine addiction, we hold Congress and the FDA accountable. To, um, to provide health insurance to all Americans, we hold Congress accountable. To provide NIH, CDC, and the EPA the resources they need to do their vital work, we hold Congress accountable. accountable. I say to Congress and the White House, from all of us, be on notice. We will hold you and ourselves accountable for the decisions you make, whether they are on health care or the environment or research funding or climate or any other issue that impact our patients' lives. We are watching, and we will hold you accountable. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Parsons. Um, next, I'd like to invite to the microphone um, Senator Tom Carper of Delaware. Um, so for those of you who don't know Senator Carper, he is a tireless advocate on so many issues we care about, whether it's clean air, whether it's science-based policy, whether it's climate change, or affordable health care for all of our patients. Senator Carper is our friend and ally. In fact, just today, um, former or past president uh, ATS um, Dr. Monica Kraft testified before the Senate Environment and Public's Work Committee in opposition to a bill that would roll back EPA's ozone standards and roll back all the other standards. And it was Senator Carper and his colleagues on the uh, majority side who were asking the tough questions of, doesn't that mean we're going to be having more people polluted in their lungs for more time? Doesn't that mean more asthma attacks? Doesn't that mean more bad health and less clean air days. 
So he was asking the tough questions. Thank you for asking the tough questions. Lead us to the next step. Thanks, Karen. Please remain standing. How many of you are from Delaware? How many of you from Delaware? I used to think Delaware was a little town just north of Columbus, Ohio. I went to Ohio State. And I found later on, I found it was a whole state. And I went and visited there, and they, uh, they let me be their treasurer, congressman, governor, and senator uh, after I'd been a naval flight officer in the Vietnam War. And I uh, used to live in California. Anybody here from California? Oh, good, good for you. You guys are uh, tireless and a great inspiration to me. I'll be out there next week just to, just to visit. I've got a son who's going to go to Stanford. When I uh, got out of uh, the Navy, I applied to business school. If I'd applied to Stanford, they would have shredded my application, so pretty excited uh, about uh, about him. Anybody here from West Virginia? Anybody from West Virginia? Yeah, I was born in Beckley, and uh, and uh, anybody from da uh, Virginia? Anybody from Virginia? Grew up in Danville, Virginia. Went to Ohio State. Anybody from Ohio? Anybody from Ohio? Anybody from Florida? Anybody from Florida? One four zero two five Lookout Way, Lago, Florida. That was my uh, address of record when I was on active duty in the uh, the Navy. And how many have actually been to Delaware? Actually, been to Delaware? Uh, not just like went, gone through and paid the toll on I-95 or State Rule 1. You got out and took advantage of tax-free shopping. A little quick, quick uh, something on Delaware. Delaware, three counties. I was in all three counties yesterday. Every county in Delaware was there. And uh, we have, uh, in Sussex County, Delaware is the most county. We uh, raise more chickens than any county in America. Third largest county in America. We don't have many counties, but we make them big. We raise more soybean in Sussex County, Delaware than any county in America. We have more five-star beaches in Sussex County, Delaware than any state in, in America. How about that? That's all I have. Thank you. And uh, we don't have uh, air sometimes. It's uh, very clean. And uh, when I was governor of Delaware, 93 to 2001, we could literally uh, shut down the state. Literally shut down the state. I could have every car off the road, every truck off the road, all of our businesses, uh, manufacturing plants and so forth, take them out. And they shut them. Nobody go to work. We would still have been out of uh, attainment uh, for ozone and some other uh, pollutants as, as well. And the reason why is because off to our west, my native West Virginia, uh, Virginia where I grew up, Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Tennessee, because they uh, burn uh, coal in order to be able to provide cheap electricity for them. They have these small, uh, the large smokestacks. And they put the stuff up in the air, hundreds of feet up in the air, and it blows over to us at the end of America's tailpipe. And uh, I, uh, anybody here ever hear the golden rule? Yes. Yes. <laughs> a lot of times when I hear speaking and I mention the golden rule, the trucks go by and they honk. And <laughs> it's a message from God. But uh, the, uh, the golden rule was, was raised in, in my mom dragged us to church every Sunday, Monday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night in Danville, Virginia. And uh, one of the things we learned was uh, the difference between right and wrong, the idea we ought to do right, not what was easy or expedient, but do right, and treat other people the way we want to be treated. And uh, why should we, at the end of America's tailpipe, have to go through all, all kinds of hoops and, and everything to, in order to try to reduce our emissions when people off to the west of us continue to pollute and they get cheap electricity? That just doesn't seem right to me. And it probably Does that seem right to you? No. Should we do something about it? Yes. Uh, should we make me president? No. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> I accept for Joe Biden. <laughs> he would pay a better choice. <laughs> And who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I, uh, 
president gave us his budget today. And uh, you're going you're to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. The, uh, now, let's be fair. How to, funding, good funding for EPA, what do you think? Yes. How about sci funding for science? Pretty good? No. How about funding for NASA? Pretty good? No. How about funding for uh, Department of Energy, for energy research? No. Pretty good? No. Uh, why? <laughs> You're right. You wouldn't say it, but you are right. Uh, the, uh, we learned something uh, about uh, three or four weeks ago, and uh, I'll make just share with you this. The uh, Constitution of our country was negotiated right up the road from Delaware in a place called Philadelphia. Philadelphia is sort of, anybody from PA here? Anybody from PA? Okay. Philadelphia is a bedroom community of Wellington, Delaware. In fact, when William Penn came to this country 300 and some years ago, he uh, did not land at Penn's Landing. He landed in Newcastle, Delaware. And there's a, a, a big statue of him right outside my church. And uh, that's where he, uh, he landed. And William Penn brought with him the uh, deed to what is now Pennsylvania and to Delaware. And we were appended to, to one another. On June 15, 1776, three weeks before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, we had a big uh, decision, a big rally in Newcastle, Delaware, for it used to be the capital of Delaware, and Delaware gave Pennsylvania its independence. <laughs> and we also declared our independence from the tyranny of the British throne. And uh, when they went up uh, in Philadelphia about 12 years later, and they negotiated the Constitution, they didn't agree on everything. They didn't agree on what the rights of women should be or slaves should be. They didn't agree on... There should be uh, three branches of government. They didn't agree on who should appoint the judges. They didn't agree what the judges should do. But the one thing they uh, agreed on, they did not want a king. They did not want a king. Let me hear you say, we don't want a king. We don't want a king. We, want a king. we didn't want a king then. We didn't want a king. We don't want a king tomorrow. We don't want a king tomorrow. We want Biden. <laughs> Let me hear you say, Joe Obama. I went all over this country. <laughs> when Joe and Barack were running, I led cheers all over uh, America for Joe Obama. And uh, that would have been that a pretty good hybrid there. But uh, when they wrote the Constitution all those years ago, when they wrote the Constitution all those years ago, they said they didn't want a king. And they wanted to make sure that no one person could take charge and, and run us off the road for a long period of time. And it's uh, called checks and balances. It's called checks and balances. It's not always pretty. Sometimes it's uh, difficult to, uh, to govern. And what did Winston Churchill say? Winston Churchill used to say these words. Democracy is the worst form of government devised by wit of man, except for all the rest. Think about that. It's a tough way to govern. You know what else he said? Uh, the, the, uh, Churchill loved America. He loved America. And uh, he know he saved their uh, ass. That's the word. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we uh, in World War II, and he was grateful, and, and uh, the British people were, and still are, and uh, so he knew that we were. He were uh, but he used to love to poke fun at, at our country, and he used to say this about America too, and he would say, uh, "You can always count on America to, the, to do the right thing in the end, after trying everything else." Well, we're trying Trump for a while. But I think we're going to be move, ready to move on to, uh, to, the, to another brand here pretty soon. But in the meantime, fortunately, we have the Constitution. 
Fortunately, we have the Constitution. And I hope you take some, uh, some consolation and joy in the fact that when we had a chance to vote on the Omnibus Appropriations Bill, which sets uh, spending uh, uh, goals and targets and so forth for the balance of this fiscal year through the end of uh, se this September, uh, we, uh, did we uh, eliminate uh, a third of all the jobs at, uh, at EPA? Did we? Did we? No. Did we cut uh, eliminate funding for, uh, for science in uh, EPA? No. Did we cut science and eliminate science in NOAA? No. Could you say NOAA? <laughs> and did we, did we cut science in DARPA and ARPA in the Department of Energy? Did we? No. no, we didn't. No, we didn't. The Constitution held. The Constitution held. And I'm encouraged by that, and you should as well. Having said that, the strongest, the best lobby that's ever been uh, uh, in my office, and I've had the same office here for 16 years since I was governor. I came here after being governor. But the strongest lobby, the most effective lobby I've had here in all the years I've been in, in the United States Senate, Frankly, people like you, people from my own state, real people have real concerns and real stories to tell. And uh, I like to say, uh, folks, people that and from Delaware, in many cases that I know, we've been in a foxhole together. They've supported me. I've supported them. I know them and their families personally. They're the most effective lobby. And uh, a lot of times people from my state, they, they come and say to Senator Chris Coons, my colleague in the Senate, uh, uh, Lisa Bart Rochester, our congresswoman, they say, you know, do this, do that, and save, save us from, you know, save the Affordable Care Act, you know, save us from Trump and uh, Scott Pruitt. And I always say, that's all well and good, but you're preaching to the choir. But there are other folks that need to be preached to. And there are states with, uh, in some cases, one, in some cases, two Republican senators who need to hear these messages. And in many cases, there are folks that have one or two or three. Or in California, you've got 53 U.S. representatives, 53. Do you know how many we have in Delaware? One. Just one. And uh, so it's great that you're here. And I just want to thank you for speaking truth to, uh, to power. The last word I want to say is this. Almost every day of my life, I go back and forth on a train to Delaware uh, just about every night. I'll go leave here and jump on a train and go home uh, tonight. And uh, I, every day somebody says to me these words, I am fearful for the future of our country. I am fearful for the future of our country. And, and I remind them of this, and I just, uh, maybe some of you are fearful too, and I think there's plenty of right to be a uh, reason to be concerned. But I, I say to them, and I just leave this uh, with, with all of you, uh, this, is, uh, this is not just any country, this is the United States of America. And uh, when we were just getting started, we took on uh, the mightiest nation on earth. Mightiest nation on earth, the Brits. We beat them not once but twice in our fight for, uh, for independence. This is a country that 150 years ago fought a civil war. And we had hundreds of thousands of uh, people killed. Hundreds of thousands more crippled, wounded in that civil war. When the war was over, what happened? Our president was assassinated. His successor, Andrew Johnson, was impeached. And somehow we came through all of that into the next century, the 20th century. And during the 20th century, what did we accomplish? We led the world to victory in World War I. We led our allies to victory in World War II. We led our allies to victory in the Cold War. And we led the world out of the Great Depression. And when the dawn came at the beginning of a new century in 2001, here's where we were as a nation. Here's where we were as a nation. Strongest economy on Earth. Most productive workforce on Earth. One, not two, not three, four balanced budgets in a row. We hadn't balanced our budget since 1968. The last four years, Clinton administration, we balanced four of them in a row. We were a nation of peace. We're the most admired nation on earth. We're the mightiest force for justice on earth. And I would just suggest to, uh, to all of us that if we could get through what we got through in those 150 years from the Civil War forward and uh, be the kind of nation that we were at the dawn of, uh, of this century, I think we can get through what we're going through now. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? P.S. Any of you ever, ever see the, uh, the, the movie or read the book uh, to your kids or maybe your parents read it to you? Uh, 
Charlotte's Web. How many of you ever are familiar with Charlotte's Web? Let me hear say Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's uh, was Charlotte a spider? Yes. Yes, she was. And there was a little pig, uh, and his name was Wilbur. His name was P uh, Wilbur. They know Wilbur was sort of, uh, he lacked uh, confidence. He lacked self-confidence. And he, uh, and, but Charlotte was, she was always upbeat, and she was always actually uh, cheering him up and urging him on. And uh, she would, uh, throughout the book, throughout the movie, she would say these two words. She would say, say these two words to Wilbur the pig. And the words are, chin up. Let me hear you say, chin up. Let me really hear you say, chin up. Chin up. One more time, chin up. Chin up. All right, chin up. We're going to win. We're going to win. It'll be a better country and a better world for you. God bless you. Thank you for being here, for all you do in your life. Thank you. You'd always call ahead and say, uh, Governor Carper, he's on the Amtrak board. He's going to be maybe 30 seconds or a minute late for the train. Can you hold the train? They would leave without me. And, and they still do. So I'm going to run ahead on the train. Right, Amtrak, come and see us in Delaware, okay? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Carper. So tell me what democracy looks like. Tell me what democracy looks like. Thank you, Senator Carper, for everything you do, for clean air, for good health, for good science, for research funding. Thank you. So thank you, Bus 3. Um, sorry it took so long for you guys to get here, but we're very happy you're here. Come on in. You don't have to hang out over there. Come on on. So we've heard, <coughs> we've heard from Dr. Uh, Parsons why we're rallying today. I want to invite Dr. Moss to come to the microphone and tell us what we're rallying for. Well, first, let's give a big round of applause for Gary and the ATS staff for planning this rally. They, they've really done a phenomenal job to make this happen. So, as some of you know, I'm Mark Moss. I'm the president of the American Thoracic Society. And for the next year, I have the honor and privilege of leading the ATS, which is a vibrant, dynamic, and diverse society. Our 16,000 members come from all 50 states of this country and from all over the world. I'm proud to be a part of this society that at its core is working to improve the care of patients. We care for patients who struggle with respiratory diseases. We care for patients with sleep-related illnesses. And we care for patients who are critically ill and fighting for their lives. Many of our members devote their lives to discovering therapies that will help cure patients with pulmonary critical care and sleep disorders. Whether we're researchers, clinicians, or educators, the unifying element in nearly everything the ATS cares about is science. Science thrives in openness. Science thrives on sharing and collaboration. The annual international conference that brought all of us here to Washington this week uh, helps researchers from around the world to share their science and ask probing questions push the limits of science, scientific creativity and move the field forward. Science demands creativity, diligence, transparency, rigor, energy, and the devotion in order to improve patient care. And science has delivered. In my lifetime, I've seen science revolutionize the treatment of preterm infants. Cystic fibrosis has moved from a disease where children rarely reached adolescence to disease where CF patients enjoy the advantages of being middle-aged. Advances in science gave birth to and advanced the field of critical care medicine. Advances just brought us a new generation of asthma medications. 
And this is but a sample of the power science, and the examples are endless. We know that climate change is occurring and largely driven by human activity. How do we know this? Because science tells us. So, because science tells us. The various fields of earth science provide clear and compelling evidence. Tomorrow morning, Dr. Kirk Johnson, the SANT director of the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, will inform us more about climate change at one of our 815 plenary sessions. And I would encourage all of you to attend. Our climate is changing, and we need to respond, and the ATS is helping lead the way. Science tells us that smoking is harmful, that tobacco advertising and candy-flavored products lure children into nicotine addiction. That is why the ATS supports FDA regulations on all tobacco products. Science tells us that patients with health insurance have better access to care and live more productive lives. And that is why the ATS supports health care as a human right. We know that science and the discovery process has brought so much, so much good to our society and our world. And that is why the ATS strongly supports NIH and other federal research agencies. Whatever your research or clinical destination, science is the map that will get you there. So, so I'm going <laughs> to... When do we want it? Now! After peer review! What do we want? Science! How do we want it? After peer review! So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to shout out the answer. And I'll give you the hint, the answer to all my questions is science. So let's try that. Science. 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 I think you got it. What do we want? Science. In the, in the last decade, what led to the discovery of many novel therapies that have revolutionized the care of patients with interstitial lung disease, pulmonary hypertension, pneumonia, pulmonary embolism, asthma, COPD, and lung cancer. Science! What brought us all, to, brought us all um, new and effective uh, technological advances that are now routinely used to save the lives of critically ill adult and pediatric patients? Science! What raised awareness of how common pulmonary sleep disorders are and developed and refined therapies that improved outcomes and quality of life of these patients. Science! What brought us the ability to transplant a lung and save a patient's life who is dying of respiratory failure? Science! What will cause the next breakthrough discovery? Science! When, we, when our elected officials are looking for answers to challenging questions, what should they use as their guiding light? Thank you for supporting the ATS in its pursuit of science. Science for better patient care, for a better society, and for a better world. Thank you very much. To introduce um, a good friend of ours. Thank you, Gary, and thank you all for coming here today.
It is my privilege to introduce my senator from Massachusetts, Senator Edward Markey. On behalf of the ATS, I have had the opportunity to testify before the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee on which Senator Markey serves. I have seen him in action, and let me tell you, Senator Markey is tireless in his defense of a key ATS issue, clean air. He knows what is at stake when industry and their allies try to delay or roll back essential EPA clean air public health protections. He knows the science that shows that air pollution harms the health of kids, of the elderly, and people with lung disease. And he is fighting to keep EPA funded and able to do the job of protecting America's health. But it's not just clean air. Senator Markey is a champion of many issues the ATS cares about, from research funding to affordable health care to tobacco control. <laughs> Senator Markey is doing the work in the Senate to ensure that ATS members like us can do our best to make the world breathe easier. Senator Markey. Thank you, Dr. Rice, and thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for coming down to Washington to testify, to tell the story of your family, of your children, and the need to keep these laws on the books and expanding. So, I'm an Irish Catholic politician from Boston. I did a nationwide search, and I married the dream. I married a Jewish doctor, and, and so... And as she left Stanford Medical School, she joined the Public Health Service of the United States 33 years ago. And so, what do I know? I know that 100 years ago, life expectancy in the United States was 48 years of age. We had gone from the Garden of Eden to 100 years ago, and it was 48 if you went through the graveyards of America. And now it's 80 years of life expectancy. 32 bonus years of life added in 100 years. And how did we add those 32 years to the average life? Science! Science! We made sure that we added the sanitation systems, the inoculation systems, the public health systems, the clean air, clean water, clean meat, you name it, laws onto the books of this country and the beneficiaries of all of the work of scientists in the United States is all of these bonus years of life. When the Trump administration wants to cut the EPA budget. When the Trump administration wants to turn the EPA into every polluter's ally, they are rejecting a century science. 
They are rejecting everything which we have learned about this linkage between this world in which we live and corporations who are indifferent to the impact that they have upon the lives of ordinary Americans. And so, what our goal is going to be, and Mary taught me this, is that it's that asthmas and heart disease and, uh, and, and, and lung cancers and all of the other things that all of you are far more expert on than I am are going to more likely occur more frequently if we begin to roll back these laws which we know work in our country. And so we're kind of at an historic dividing moment. The HHS budget, it will be cut by 18%. The NIH research budget will be cut by 20%. The EPA budget will be cut by 31%. So each one of those cuts is a direct assault on the public health experiment which the United States began a hundred years ago and then spread across the entire planet. And it is the scientists, it is the physicians in our country who are under assault with this Trump budget. Because you are dedicated to keeping the lungs of your patients, the lives of your patients healthy because you know the importance of limiting pollution. And so, all I can tell you is, and you know this, that there are no issues that poll out higher than the clean air, clean water issues for the American people. What the polluters are hoping is that they can get this stuff through without a big public debate. But the most respected people in our society are the scientists. The ones that are revered the most are the scientists. And so we need you here today. We need you to raise your voices every day for the next three years and 40 weeks until we rid this, this pathology of a presidency from the United States of America. And so, I want to thank each and every one of you for everything that you do, because on every one of these issues, there's one thing that separates you from the Trump administration. You are right, and he is wrong. And we're going to fight every day with you. Thank you all so much for everything that you are doing. Mr. Barnes, come to the microphone to tell us the patient voice, or why our voice matters. Yeah! Okay, so you gotta find the right thing here, Mark. Uh, uh, hang on. Okay, because I'm half blind, so I brought my glasses just in case. So, first, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I think the last time I saw this many white coats was when the Pope was praying for Congress. <laughs> So, thank you for, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, isn't it? Steve, this is like, you, you should be in heaven. You know, Steve started his, one of his uh, careers, he's had a few, um, right here. 
right? So, I'm Teresa Barnes. I'm a, um, the past chair and emeritus, I guess that means I, I'm old, um, for the American Thoracic Society's Public Advisory Roundtable. And if you don't know it, um, it's the patient voice of the ATS. And um, I'm not a researcher, though I play one on TV. I'm a, I'm a patient advocate, but I'm also a research advocate. I spend a lot of time right there trying to help um, affect what we need to happen, and that's increase research, certainly not decrease it. And, um, you know, ATS really believes that patients should be at the center of everything it does. So thank you to ATS. And my family has been profoundly impacted by um, pulmonary fibrosis, and in the last decade, um, actually in, in a 10-year span, we lost five people to it, um, all of my dad's generation. So I understand, I think all of you are sitting there going, oh my God, um, and, and so I know my risk, right? I know, I know my risk, and um, I know that without research, this disease and many, many others have no chance of finding treatments that are gonna save lives. And our, our patients face, as you know, significant um, threats by their own diseases, right? They're, they're threatened by the disease. But, but now, some of the biggest threats they face are right here. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. And I believe that the threats to medical research are real. Do you believe they're real? Yes! And cuts to that research will determine the future of these patients. It'll determine whether patients live or die, won't it? Yes! And so when I come to Washington, which is about once a month, I meet with Hill staffers and, and, I've, and I've had the honor of sitting side by side by, with many of you um, you know, Mark Moss and I, I remember several meetings with you, and sitting side by side with ATS doctors and researchers to explain the issues that we're concerned about. And by the way, you guys know that most of the staffers are like 25 and younger, yes. right? No offense against anybody who's 25 or younger, um, but um, it, there's a lot of explaining to do, right? And, and so they want to understand who's at risk for lung disease. And so I, I, I sort of tell them, you know, only the people that breathe, <laughs> just those are at risk for lung disease. And, and only those who breathe need to worry about climate change, right? And, and only those who breathe need to, to worry about research funding, right? And, and only those who breathe need to worry about the future for our children. And there's a baby here. I saw it on the bus. That baby's here, and that baby knows what I'm saying. And, and speaking of kids, I had this six-year-old. She was born in ATS, so she calls Steve Uncle Steve. She's been to many medical conferences, and, and she, you know ATS has a daycare. Do you guys know that? So you can bring your kids next year to San Diego. Bring them. Um, and, and she asks sometimes why her grandfather's lungs died. She doesn't understand that. And, and she, what she doesn't know is that her mommy's risk for the same disease is 
And, and what she doesn't know is that her risk is 50-50. And my goal is to make sure she never knows that. Because to help make sure that there are treatments and a cure for her tomorrow, what do we have to do? When do we have to do the research? Today, right now, exactly. So the time has come for pulmonary medicine and pulmonary research innovation. It's now. Look around. It's happening. It's all around the ATS. I think you've all seen it the last few days. So as you all stand in front of the Capitol, is that not a great view? In white today, you're, you're more than a group of doctors and researchers, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You're you know, you're a beacon of light, right? You're a beacon of light for these members of Congress who many of them are still in their offices right now. Um, and, and you're a beacon of light to those members of Congress like Senator Markey who would, would stand up to protect NIH funding. And you're a beacon of light to those in Congress who would protect and improve our air and you're a beacon of light to the members of Congress who are working against the threats that, are, that threaten us, right? Yeah. And, and today, let, let's make sure that, okay, so some of the members are gone, right? So 5.30, they're out of here, some of them. But the staffs, those 25-year-olds, oh yeah, they're, they're still there. And they're probably going to be there until 9 or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock tonight. Because that's how it works here. They don't pay them squat, but they work them to death. So the point is, we need to make sure that those staffers hear us. Right? Okay, so work with me. So we're going we're gonna to lift you know, patients up in this fight. So... Let them know that we are going to fight until our last breath. That's right. So when I say fight, when I say the word fight, you say breathe. Will that work? When I say fight, you say breathe. Okay. So we hold up our research labs as we work on therapies to help them fight. We hold up our science that guides us toward the future of this fight. We challenge Congress to make good on their promises to protect us by protecting our lungs in this fight. Tell Congress that lungs matter. Tell Congress that respiratory research matters. Tell Congress that clean air matters. Tell Congress that people who breathe matter. Thank you so much for being here. You're my heroes. No pressure, but you gotta find cures. why policy matters to him.
Hey guys! I'm going to tell you one little thing. This is personal. And we're going to hear the world, the word personal time and time again. And it's going to be personal for you and you and you and you and personal and personal it is. Okay? So, you know me. I am from all over the world. I was born somewhere, not here. I lived somewhere, not here. I trained somewhere, not here. I served somewhere, not here. And then I came here. And I came here because we have ATS. Yeah! And so it's personal. And I married a wonderful lady from Iran. And I am from Israel and work there. And we can do it here because it's personal. Okay? I've worked and traveled all over the world, and now they're telling us that we cannot do all the things that are so personal to us. Because I've treated children from wealthy families, but also from kids that cannot afford a single dime. And so if they want to take us all that money away and not let our patients get the care that they deserve, it is personal! And if there are issues that come and they cut the National Institutes of Health and we have grants, but it's not because of the grants. It's because of what we do with them. And if they take that away, it is personal. And if the White House and the Congress consider that health reform legislation takes away the Medicaid program and it directly impacts our patients, it is personal. And if they took away all the TB programs and tobacco control and EPA budgets, they cut them by 30%, and now suddenly we have to breathe lousy air, then it becomes personal. And if you feel really that that's not enough, if we think that that's not enough, take away the science, take away the health care, take away clean air, what are we left of? with something that is really, really personal. We do not want anything of this to happen. And that's why I'm standing here before you today. And that's why you're standing here, because each and one of us, for each and one of us, this is really personal. So guys, everybody, we need to make it, not just today, every day, in and out, until we get rid of this crap, we need to make it Personal! Thank you!